Hello everyone, welcome back to the podcast series on the voice of youth in obesity. And together we are going to discuss the relations between a child and their parent around the subject of obesity. With me here today I am joined by Riz, who you already know from previous episodes, and obviously Vicky, who is responsible for this whole thing. So I'll give you both a quick moment to speak, to introduce yourselves. Yeah, so I'm happy to go first. My name is Vicky Mooney. I'm, I suppose I'm a patient, a person who's lived with obesity all their life. I've been a teenager with obesity. I'm now 45 and I still have obesity. I'm a mom of two children that have overweight and obesity. Um, and as well as that, I am the executive director for ECPO, the European Coalition for People Living with Obesity. And effectively, I work with a tremendous team that you are part of, Constantine. And we came up with this wonderful idea. And I'm so delighted that we could actually create a series bringing those strong, empowered, articulate voices to this podcast. Yeah. And I'm super happy to have you here on today because... This will be a totally different dynamic and uh, given the fact that you're the parent and to my right I have Rhys, who is the child in that case, it will be totally awesome. But Rhys, I'll give it to you. Uh, yeah, ever since we started doing this, it's just been not something, obviously, no, I never expected anything like this to happen, but uh, it's been a good opportunity to firstly talk to people like me because... Obviously, you can't just talk to anyone, especially as a teenager. You can't just talk to anyone about this and expect them to completely be on the same level. And um, it's also nice to finally meet people in person because doing Zoom meetings and things like that just gets a bit kind of tedious, just looking at a blank screen and just hearing voices. And, um, yeah, meeting people in person is nice to see kind of how they are online and then how they kind of translate that to the real world. Confirm that they're real people as well. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Living through the same experience that you have (laughs) previously. And not just in a little square on the screen. I think, you know, having this opportunity to have everybody together recording this podcast series, um, like the previous one, uh, has just blown my mind. Like when I was a teenager, there was no way when I was 15 or 16 or even your age, Reese, 19, that I would have had the confidence to speak about bullying and stigma you know, I just brushed it off and I seen it as normal almost. And when I listen to you guys, I'm just like, wow, this is this is completely changing everything. It's changing the narrative. It's phenomenal. It really is. But uh, it goes to show the same thing that you said, like you never thought about it back then, but we're speaking about some of the same issues that you had back then. So yeah. we haven't moved that much further. The needle on the dial has not shifted. Like, yeah. I mean, in the 80s, you didn't... And when you were speaking earlier um, in the earlier podcast about clothes that fit and going into shops and being able to just, you know, take something off the hanger. In the 80s, growing up as a young girl, like particularly for a school uniform, there was not a school uniform that would fit me. So I was constantly just bursting out of my clothes, which... Then when you look at somebody bursting out of your clothes, you think, oh, they look so sloppy. And that's the image people had of me because, and it wasn't my fault. Just the clothes weren't made to fit. And this day and age, that is one thing that has shifted, that we do have some plus size clothing, which is tremendous. So people can actually feel good about themselves and confident when they look in the mirror. But like the stigma that exists in the 80s, the bullying, the name calling, the shaming, the discrimination, that is 
even more prevalent, I feel, today because of yeah. social media. Absolutely. Mm, yeah. Just the voice is more easily given to people out there. Yeah, it's easier for... You don't have to kind of do it in person so much. It's not like before, obviously, social media. And if you wanted to speak to someone about this, you'd have to find them and know them in person. And now, even if people aren't directly involved, they can kind of sit back and watch how other people are dealing with the problems that we do. And obviously, like, what I would like to say about that is, like, it's much harder to insult someone in person, looking him in yeah. his eyes, than it is to just comment online and send, like, a like leave a nasty message on someone's yeah. picture or in a private message. So totally different uh, things here. Yeah, I think as, as well, like, when I, when I think about that, and I like that you brought it up, Constantine, because when I think back to the name-calling when I was younger, it was horrible names, but... You know, I was a fatty, I was a fat so, um, but they would, you know, do this thing with their hands as if say, oh, look at the size of her belly kind of thing, you know, and you were so aware of it. And in that moment, you freeze up and you can feel the tears coming, you can feel the flood of emotion rising up and you're getting choked up. And it's like, I need comfort. And, you know, my comfort was a piece of chocolate. It was like, I'll have go to my room, have a piece of chocolate and I'm, I'm going to hide away. But then... Years ago, I was a plus-size model in Ireland. And on one of the very first television jobs I did, I was wearing a pair of tights and a pair of boots with a skirt. And somebody commented online and said, wow, who strung her up like a ham fillet? And I was like, oh my gosh. And it hurt me as much as the insult back then, but it was so easy for them to do that. Oh, yeah. And then the flood of comments. And the more I worked in the area, the more I realized what a problem that we have. And that's when I started actually working in the obesity space of this needs to change. That conversation needs to shift. It is not okay that my son has been bullied because he was the one with obesity and it's genetic. So how are you supposed to support him? Instead, they just fling insults and... And it, it breaks my heart or it hasn't shifted. But I feel that this podcast is going to help shift that dial. It's totally a step in the right direction. And uh, what I'm, I'm really hopeful for the future, you know, because like previously people weren't working on improving that. That's what uh, that's why we, what you went through, I went through. And what I went through, Riz went through. But currently people are becoming more and more self-aware becoming more and more informed and they're realizing that we have an issue here and uh, we must do something about it. So hopefully the generation after, the new kids that are just being born, will be a bit better and a bit better and a bit better with time. I believe we're working in the right direction for that. Yeah, I think initiatives like this, I think listening to the conversation that you had with Reese, that I've listened to it about six or seven times. It, it blew my mind, right? That dialogue that was had, I was like, there is no way at that age I would have, even at your age, Constantine, in your 20s, I would not have had that confidence. And I think it was really interesting as well when you guys spoke about healthcare professionals and parents, how do you open the conversation? It's something I'm constantly asked from healthcare professionals. What, how does a child open a conversation about obesity? And I'm like... That is so hard, you know, and if you're a doctor, that is incredibly difficult. And I think 
many doctors are very aware that there is a uh, I hate to I, I actually even hate to use this phrase but elephant in the room <laughs> of we need to talk about <laughs> obesity right yeah and, you know, the doctor sat there and the child is sat there and the parent is sat there and the parent and the child have obesity, clearly. And I can't fathom how much pressure a healthcare professional or a GP would have in their mind to go, do I say weight? Do I say obesity? How do I approach this? Well, it's such a sensitive topic. And I thought it was really interesting when the girls actually spoke about it earlier, you yeah. know. And I think it it's a different... Actually... I'm going to switch this around and ask you guys a question because we got the female perspective on that. But even for yourself, Constantine, how do you think that conversation should go? What what does that sound like to you? So to me, this is like, just go straight up. I like, I want the truth. Mm. I want the consequences. I want the full picture, you know? Yeah. Like when, when we're talking about this subject, I want everything. Like, tell me everything. Just start by saying that I believe you have a problem. You might not know it. You might not think that you do, which is totally fine. Okay, I understand it because like, for example, you're talking to a 15-year-old. They might not know that they have a problem. Like we asked the girls who is responsible for your weight. Every single one of them said that it's up to them. When in reality, wow. it's not. Yeah, that's another thing wow. to discuss, but yeah. just like... Have a conversation about it. Come on. Like uh, some teenagers are very scared from about talking about this topic with a third person, like the healthcare professional. So I can totally put myself in their shoes and see how difficult it is. But if you get them to understand that there are consequences to this, and if you get them to understand that there are things that can be done to mm. prevent it, and to deal with it, I believe that um, their, like, literally their mind would be open to it. And, uh, like, teens are a lot smarter than we realize. Yeah. They're, like, literally smarter than adults. They understand everything. They're, like, a sponge who literally absorbs every single drop of information that you give to them. So give them the information. Hopefully, because that's another issue, the education of healthcare professionals around the topic of obesity. If you're the right specialist and you know about it, just tell them what you know. Just give them the tips, give them the small details, give them the bigger picture. That's my opinion on it, and I'd love to hear what Riz thinks. Yeah, I think I have a similar kind of view to you. I think maybe this would be different when I was young, when I was younger, but I would much prefer somebody to say I was 16 when this happened to be more realistic about it and just say like oh we think that like you said it might be a problem but we don't want it to get worse and then give me some advice but if I was a lot younger I think that I think if you're talking to a child who's you know not even 10 it's a lot easier at least that's how I see it if you just do it in a nice way and just say oh we're just we're worried that in the future you know we don't want you to become uncomfortable in the future and if you do these certain things we can just stop that from happening and you know just keep you uh, comfortable, happy, and so on. And I think when you're a younger child, that can be easy to take because I don't think that obviously there'll be some people who might kind of overanalyze that, but I don't yeah. think many children under 10 are going to overanalyze it. They're just like, oh, I just want to keep happier and healthier. And they just take it as, oh, this can only be a good thing. But I think a lot of people see it as, oh, you can't say that. Like it, it's too rude to assume. But actually, if you don't, 
it might seem, at least how I see it, it might seem a bit like, you know, harsh if you say like they might have a weight problem, but what's worse if you wait mm. another two years and then yeah. it's clearly a problem and you're like, oh, I could have said this before, but I don't want to hurt their feelings. And it's like, it, it's nice. Like, it's a nice kind of notion that you don't want to hurt their feelings and accept them. But in the grand scheme of things, mm. you need to find a way to kind of intervene and not just yeah. see it as, like, I think some doctors might see it as, oh, I've either got to be realistic and just say it how it is, but they might do that in a rude way. Like, okay, you've got a weight problem. Like, we need to sort this out. But there's just different ways of doing it. And I think it's just every doctor's different. Like, yeah. I've, had, I've had a lot of doctors and all of them are very different. Do you know what? I love what Bodhi said there. And when I think about it, it ties in with... Um, so in Canada, they have the five A's, which is about asking asking the patient permission to speak about their weight or obesity, whichever way they'd like it to be referred to. And for me, I'm like... I wish that my doctor or somebody said to me, Vicky, how do you feel about your body at the moment? Because you're not particularly then saying you've got overweight or obesity. You're not saying your weight is too high or there's a problem. You're asking them, how do you feel about that? And giving them the opportunity to open up or go away and think about it and then open up about it and then say, OK, well, be honest with me, you know, I've, I'm, I'm worried, I am concerned, but as well as I was just thinking of what you had said, Constantine, and we've underestimated adolescents, teenagers. When we looked at Action Teens, looking at the data from that, majority of our healthcare professionals taught that teenagers just wanted to lose weight so that they could look like their peers, like their friends. It was almost insulting to teenagers that it was just always all kind of how I'll visually look how I physically look all that kind of thing but then when you asked the teenagers they were completely different they were like I want to feel healthier I want to be more confident in myself it wasn't yeah and that's where I was like we don't give them enough credit and that's why I, I love that these conversations are opening definitely and like from last episode and with the girls and like they said I think it's being uh, misread because, like, misinterpreted. Because the girl said that they do want to look like their peers, but not for the wrong reasons that are being portrayed. They want to look like them just so they're not the outsider. Yeah. It's like you want to be accepted into the yeah. circle. You want to be normal. You don't want to be the the one that's singled out. But, and that's yeah. a problem, right? So that's a problem that. We have obesity, which is actually recognized by WHO in 1948 as a chronic progressive relapsing disease. And yet, if you have diabetes, you're not judged. If you have cardiovascular disease, you're not judged and shamed. Even if you have liver disease, if you have drank yourself to death and drugs and everything else, it's still, there's still empathy and pity. Oh my God, that poor person. But if you have obesity... Visually, because you're seen to have obesity, you're judged. And what absolutely breaks my heart is that, especially when it comes to genetic obesity, when actually anything between 40 and 70% of people who have obesity, it's genetic. If you have genetic obesity, lifestyle and diet and exercise can help you, but it is not going to cure it. It's Mm. not going to maintain it either. No, it's not going to maintain it because you cannot fight your own biology. It doesn't work like that. You know, your body is much smarter. You start losing fat cells and it goes into attack mode. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's like, no, I'm retaining them. Just like when you get a cold and you get sick and your body fights back. So when you lose a a huge amount of weight, 
your body starts to fight back. And I think actually Dr. Ari Sharma did a fantastic piece on that about the set point and how your body fights back and stuff. And I just think that if society, if people out there were listening to more of the scientific evidence, more of the research, if that was aligned in conversations, we wouldn't have this judging and blaming and shaming because that's getting in the way of people getting jobs and... In support and help. Yeah. I think people can be, you know, in a time where everyone's got a phone, everyone anywhere, almost anywhere, can go and search stuff up and find out stuff. A lot of people are still too lazy to find out extra information. Like you think about like fake news and stuff like that. Mm. There's so many different sources you can use to see whether, you know, you can make your own decision from it. And in the same way, it's about anything and like health, you can find so much stuff online and make your own judgment from it. But a lot of people just can't be bothered. And yeah. they're like, oh, they see someone who might be obese. And the first thing I might think is like, just stop eating. Or just, yeah. or it's like, oh, just, just do some more exercise. Like, it's not that difficult. But it's assuming that the person hmm. hasn't gone, oh, you know what? I haven't actually thought of that. Or, oh, you know what? No, I, it's like assuming that they haven't tried trying to yeah. sort the problem out themselves and just assuming they want to stay like that. But it's a, Stupid. If you think about it, you go, oh, actually, no, They, I can't imagine anyone wanting to be in that condition. And then you go, oh, so they probably have tried it. Otherwise, that would just be stupid. Mm. But they don't give it any more thought. Yeah, mm. but the issue here, in my opinion, is exactly that the third person that's judging grew, grew up with a different idea of obesity. Yeah. They didn't grow up with all that information that we have now. Mm. Or maybe they were just not uh, open enough to it. And uh, I cannot even, ju- I won't judge them because it's wrong. It's the wrong thing to do. It's like you cannot judge someone on the lack of uh, knowledge. Yeah. So with change and everything, with more information being easily accessible, this will change with time. Mm. It's obviously the older generation will keep their ideas in yes. their mind. Yeah. But what we can hope for and what we can do is just that the new generation doesn't. Mm. And honestly, like, um, if we're being completely honest here, our future is in the hands of the new generation, not the mm-hmm. old. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, when it when I listen to you guys talking about this, I, it kind of excites me because I think, you know, if we didn't have weight bias and stigma there, it would be so much easier for people to speak up and gain that confidence to say, actually, I want to talk to my doctor about it. But, you know, I I even look at friends and colleagues that I have who have genetic obesity. One particular lady has genetic obesity, had bariatric surgery, lost a lot of weight, but didn't lose enough weight to get her BMI down to a certain level. And it was literally just the, the last 15, 16 kilos, and she could not. She plateaued. And she was refused IVF. And she was blamed and she doesn't have a child now with her husband and she would love to have a baby. But because the rule is there, some, in my words, idiot, wrote down somewhere in a guideline, well, I'm sorry, unless your BMI is below this, you can't have IVF. And I'm like, that is wrong. That should be a personal case. That There should be a management team there that says, okay, let's look at this individually. Okay, she's had bariatric surgery. Obesity is a disease okay, we need to actually look at Pacifics here. And it, it frustrates the life out of me that that is still happening today in society. And when you talk about this younger generation, younger voice, 
I don't think they'll accept that. I don't. When I listen to the girls in the earlier podcast, I'm like, there is no way they're going to take that answer if they're told you're not having IVF or you're not getting that job because, you know, they won't take that because now they have the information they need to make a, an informed decision about their own health and their own life. And that's what excites me about this. Yeah, different perspective, different point yeah. of view and different ideas and different characters. But it's crazy to me what you said about like being written down that if you're above a certain BMI level, you're not uh, you're not like welcome to do this. Yeah. But like how stupid is it to use BMI in a professional setting in 2023? Yes. BMI is so if you if you did t- t- the BMI of you know, a rugby player or mm-hmm. a bodybuilder. Throw the Olympian, their You'd go, oh, they're morbidly obese, but you go, well, clearly that's not the case. Like, you can't just yeah. look at a number and go, oh, like, at that level, to take away someone's ability to have a child and base it off of BMI, yeah. which even, you know, even at my college where they're like 16-year-olds are being told, oh, I don't, BMI's really, you know, inaccurate. Don't take it for yeah. anything too for serious. Anything. Yeah. So if you're telling 16 year olds who are just doing like a sports course that our oh, BMI isn't that accurate, don't how can doctors be denying people's kind of no abilities? And especially after bariatric surgery, because like think about it. Uh, for me, I lost like 90 kilos, and when I was down to my lowest, I was ultra skinny. Like I worked out like five times a week. I had very good uh, muscle structure. I remember. I looked absolutely perfectly and I weighed, so I'm told like uh, 197 or 8 centimeters and I weighed at 106 kg. So on the BMI scale, I was overweight. But looking back at it, I was so skinny and muscular. A scale telling me I'm overweight is so crazy, like looking back at it and even just you have to consider all the factors like the loose skin there like how many kilos of loose skin did I have like come on let's leave BMI behind us that's one thing so what you said there what you both said there right makes me look at something completely different when Reese you said about rugby players um, and I've used that so many times before I'm like so effectively, you're saying that all of these wonderful rugby players that are the, they're fit as horses they are. They're incredible. Um, they are so unbelievably healthy with their diet, their regime, everything else. But they're all on the, the list of, they would take the box for bariatric surgery oh, yeah. or for pharmacotherapy to lose weight. But if they're female rugby players, they would take the box for bariatric surgery, but they would not take the box for IVF treatment. And it's like, how wrong is that? Like, I mean, when are they going to go, okay, yeah, we need to change this. We need to rewrite it. Like, completely new page. Mm. Start from the blank and start making decisions that count. And as you said about like the new, uh, younger generation being able to absorb so much and change so much, healthcare throughout all of time has evolved and improved a lot. And I don't think it, I think this could have been worked out years ago that, you know, things like BMI are not accurate. And then to base it off of something so serious. So why that hasn't progressed with everything else is unbelievable. 
I totally agree here, but uh, we can only work for the, towards it for the future and change it. Hope for change. But uh, listen, today I have you two here, which is like extremely important that I have both perspectives present. So I have Vicky and you're a mother. I have Reese, who we've previously talked about your relationship with your parents, but this is an awesome opportunity to see like your discussion around obesity for the two of you and uh, to exchange like experience and information about the conversation that you had about it with your parents and Vicky, you with your kid. So going into a conversation about being a mum of children who have obesity, I think the hardest part for me is that I've been through it as a child and a teenager and I have my memories of, you know, being bullied being shamed because of my weight and I predominantly carry my weight on my stomach and taking a piece of chocolate, going to my room, hiding in my room, crying in my room, not talking to anybody about it at all, um, covering, you know, taking wrappers of sweets and stuff and hiding them so nobody found out or realised. Um, and then when I look at my own children and I see that as well, hiding food and stuff and and... You know, in some ways you would think, well, it must be easier for you to have that conversation with your child. But it's not. It's, you know, I almost turn into that 14-year-old girl again that is terrified inside, that's hiding in her room crying, eating chocolate. Um, or, you know, a Swiss roll is something very common in Ireland, a cake, a Swiss roll. And I'd go down and I'd have like one or two slices when I was stressed and, you know, there was a lot of trauma growing up and I'd have two slices and then I'd have a third and then I'd go, oh, they're going to realise that I actually had a third of the whole cake. And I'm like, oh no, okay. So then I'd have the whole cake and then I'd hide the wrappers and then I'd go up and sit there and feel absolutely disgusting about myself. Um, and I, when I think of things like that, I think about my own kids and how they feel. And I find it so hard to say, how do you feel about your body? Because I immediately revert back to being that young girl. And the only thing that I can do is encourage a conversation. I've got Josh, who is part of some of the work that I've done. And he even knows that obesity can be genetic. And he talks about that. But... When it comes to Mia, Mia also has autism, my daughter. And that's a very hard conversation to have with her. And she gets very defensive and goes into a shell. And it is really difficult. Like, And I, and I look at Reese and I'm like, how did you become so empowered to, you know, have these conversations? You know, like what age were you when you started even discussing this? To be honest, I don't know if I can remember too well. I think... From the point of when I really thought it, I was really self-aware of it was, I think, just after starting secondary school, so standard, like, 12, 13. But by that point, I knew that my mum was already aware of it, like, doctors-wise. She was on top of it with talking to doctors about, you know, what can we do about this? Because I, I don't know if he thinks the same way, but what can I do to try and help at home? But eventually there was a point, I think, where she realised that I wasn't happy with it, and then she just kind of asked me, like, you know, what do you want to do? Like, do you want us to do you want us to bring this up with the doctors next time we go? Because I was already going to the doctors regularly for 
standard appointments for a, a different health issue. And yeah, I think she she knew before I had said to her, but it didn't feel it didn't feel like I was having an invasion of my privacy or something. Obviously, it was a bit uncomfortable. Uh, she didn't do some like you know, oh, okay, we got to talk to the doctors about this because it's a problem. She asked me first and said, you know, do you want to? And bearing in mind that was me at thirteen. I'm sure if I was a bit older, she would have dealt with it differently because, you know, as you get older, you've got to deal with things before I become an adult and then I'm off on my own. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so she was already on top of it when I was quite young and wasn't even aware. Like, good for her. And uh, here, from what, I hear, from what I heard from Vicky, like, when you're a parent who has went through that, like, thinking about it, if I was in your shoes... This would be the last conversation I would like to have with my children. Like, yeah. it must be like, because when you're living through it, it's whatever. It's your mm. problem. It's uh, your decisions. It's your life. But then having that with your children, yeah, it's probably, it's like not two times as painful, but it's like unimaginably more painful and more stressful. And it's... Uh, very difficult conversation to have but you obviously know that you must have it to help them but it's like even hearing about it right mm. now it's like a fear for yeah. me like because just imagine in the future that you have to have that conversation yeah. it's scary it is and I, I think as a parent as well you take a lot of blame and you guilt yourself and shame yourself you know I I know that you know Josh and Mia they shouldn't be having certain foods. And I'm like, but life is so busy and I'm trying to, you know, do all of my work and we're rushing here, there and everywhere. And I'm like, okay, so that's going to have to do for dinner because I literally don't have the time. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, what are you doing here? You know, you have a responsibility to your child's health. And then as a parent, you really beat yourself up in your own mind that you're not doing enough. You're never doing enough. You're never. Yeah. You're, and as a parent, you're, you never will feel you're doing enough. You'll always want to do better and do better and do more. One thing I would like to see, like, like a small solution for it would be like, you know, when people are having a baby, they start mm. reading books about parenthood, yeah. about children in general. And I would love to see like a small portion of those books discuss obesity in mm. children in discuss foods that kids should eat growing up, nutrients, yep. what's important to them. It's like because we're taking, everyone is preparing when they're having a child. Mm. Everyone is open to all new ideas because it's like obviously you're taking a huge responsibility yeah. here and you're trying to absorb as much information so you can raise the best child. Yeah. And I doubt that there is much useful information out there for those parents and you're saying that you blame yourself. Well, obviously you would. It's normal. It's if you feel any type of uh, blame and any type of responsibility towards that child, you would uh, feel that blame as well because you have the responsibility to feed them, to watch over them, to protect yeah. them. But it's sometimes just not, it's not entirely up to you. And with our uh, with our day-to-day -day life, like, People have never worked this hard, this hard before. 
like looking at you i know how hard you work and you're the one person like i work hard but you're the one person i would never complain about working hard too because i just know what goes into your day-to-day life and you just mm, i know you're doing your best and it's just we need more opportunities out there to deal with it better yeah do you know what when you're speaking there it makes me think about like when i was having um my children and I never received any information like about, you know, breastfeeding can help if you are a mother who has obesity. Like I, I went into my first pregnancy and I was about 24 stone in weight, which is about, I don't know, about 140 kilos, 150 kilos. And I would imagine that my doctor wants the best for me and surely he would, he would have gone, okay, the mother ha- clearly has obesity. The father clearly has obesity, as my ex-husband did. Okay, so we need to actually encourage breastfeeding. We need to explain that there is a likelihood that your child will actually have obesity and there is ways that you can manage it. And that's how it should have started, but that didn't happen. They don't give you the guidance. They don't give parents the guidance when it comes to... But yet, look around the world. Like, we've got over a billion people in the world have obesity. Like, I mean, that's nearly one in eight people in the world have obesity overweight or obesity. And if you just look at Europe and America, uh, for example, yeah. in the United States, yeah. the percentage is like mm. <laughs> so much higher. Exactly. So why aren't we rewriting and going, okay, new parents, if they have obesity, this is a plan. This is a plan of action. This is what we do. Oh, yeah. We teach them. And I think now that the conversation is kind of starting to shift and change and people like yourselves are stepping up and saying, this isn't good enough. We want better access to health. We want better treatment for obesity. We want better canteens and schools. We want less stigma. Like, I mean, it's 50 cent for Josh to buy a cookie in school. And it's a giant chocolate chip cookie with probably about 300, 400 calories in it. It is 150 to buy a banana. That's, that's insane. One of the things at my canteen is that when we first went there, there was a wider variety of food. And then... One of the, probably the best thing, although it isn't great, is they had uh, baguettes that were like chicken baguettes and so on. And it's not the best thing, but at least it was like proper chicken, not so processed. And then they got rid of it. And then I remember one day it was normally at, well, normally it would be at break, there's certain foods out and then at lunch it's different. Mm-hmm. And then eventually it was like two days a week, it's just sausage rolls all the time. And then if you don't make stuff at home or if you don't have time, then that's all there is. So it's like, okay, well, I'm having another sausage roll. Oh, and I've got to have a, another sausage roll at lunch. And it's like, no wonder I'm, I'm eating all this pastry. Mm. There's no good options. I remember thinking to myself when I went to sick form, I was at the same school still, but when I started making my own lunches, mm. I realized how much different it was. Yeah. And I was like, I mean, this makes sense. Thinking back on it, having, you know, cheese and ham paninis and all that stuff. And I know that everyone else, especially, I mean, I can only say this for England, but everyone else has a similar thing. It's all the same stuff. And, you know, you just get some kids who can eat it and that's fine. And then you get others who eat it and there'll be such a negative effect on them. Mm. And, you know, as well as that, what gets me is, like, I know we're coming to the end of the podcast, but it bothers the life out of me that people say, well, schools can't afford it to have, like, you know, fresh vegetables and salads. and, And I'm like, it is actually cheaper to supply chicken salads Oh, or, yeah. you know, um, vegetables and stuff like that, a baked potato, rather than 
pastries, pastries. Mm. and all of the sugars in them and yeah. everything else. Like when I look at what I see, like if they can make a hamburger and if they can make fries, well, then why can't they make sweet potato fries and chicken fillet? Because surely that is cheaper. You take the buns away and you take everything goes on the burger and chicken is cheaper. And let's not even talk about cheaper. Like, come on, we pay our taxes. Yes. This is our children we're talking mm-hmm. about. Like, come on, why are we talking about money here? Like, yeah. you obviously provided a solution there that some of the healthier options can be even cheaper than the ones yeah. that are being offered. But if we're not putting money in the health of our children, where are we using it? Exactly. Exactly. And I do see a slight shift over the last few years in these kind of conversations as as a parent, as somebody who works in the area. Um, there is a shift. And I think like when we look at the work that like Mario does in Portugal with the childhood um, obesity team. And when I look at the fact that they've reached 500,000 children across Portugal with their campaign of fruit heroes to encourage them. And kids are actually eating more fruit now and vegetables. And they have an anti-stigma book, a stop bullying book, which is the most beautiful thing showing about, you know, it's not okay to this girl who has obesity and or this guy who has obesity and this girl who wears glasses, it's not okay to bully them, you know. And that for me is like something that should be implemented in every single country. And I think in, in some ways, like I get excited that and hopeful because uh, Mario and I were at a WHO meeting recently in uh, Lisbon. And at that meeting, we seen the plans for the acceleration plan on obesity. And I'm like, there's training in there for healthcare professionals for primary care that we haven't seen before which you know we can't blame our doctors because nobody ever told them obesity was a disease they got no training in obesity or how to treat it but now there is going to be training there is going to be less stigma and for me I'm like hopeful that the generation coming up get what we didn't get what I didn't that's why Uh, we are doing this yeah because we must provide it for them absolutely and um Hopefully, our work will result in that happening. We'll bear the fruits soon enough. But um, I believe that's all the time we have here for today. I am very thankful to my guests for being here. And I would like to give them the opportunity to literally say anything that comes to mind about uh, all our issues, everything we've discussed today. If you have any conclusion or anything you would like to add and I'll start with Vicky. I think for me, um, we're releasing this podcast. It's a pretty special time in the world, World Obesity Day. We've got the movie The Whale that has come out. And if you're a parent and if you have or have not got overweight or obesity, go to see the movie The Whale because you will realise that people with obesity need love, support and empathy. And they're beautiful people as well. They're human beings. Be kind. Let's get rid of the weight bias and stigma. Let's support and empower people so they have the confidence to ask for some support. And Reese, uh, Like I said earlier about people's ideas they get when they see someone who is obese. There's so much information. There's so many sources to find out more that you might have a passing thought. And if you make a passing comment, you should try and see it from the other perspective and think about what am I making fun of? And go, oh, if I was them, how would I react to it? And you can 
you can already answer the questions yourself. If you just take a moment to think about it properly, you can answer all your questions instead of making assumptions about them. And this is for anything. If you have any views on it, there's you need to make sure that you agree with yourself first when you see all the facts and not just make an assumption. Definitely. And just in general, I would like to like give the advice that you should just be nicer in general. You should be more supportive and you should be more open to other opinions. And uh, being judgmental your entire life going about it, it's just it's just not a good way to live. It's like if you're being helpful towards someone, if you're doing good, good will come to you. It's just what I believe in. I might be wrong, but I that's agree. what I believe. No, we agree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. So thank you so much for being here. And big thank you to everyone listening. As we do appreciate it like an enormous amount and it means the world to us. And yeah, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>